Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. Summertime is peak time for lightning across South Florida. These bolts can be killers if not taken seriously. The National Weather Service has done an excellent job getting the word out of its dangers, resulting in a decrease in fatalities. But one group of people has a higher mortality rate when it comes to lightning strikes. Given where lightning, obviously, we know lightning strikes, you know, so people that are outside are, are the most vulnerable by far to lightning strikes. And oftentimes, or most of the time, they're, they're, people that get struck are, are doing work, some kind of work outside. Meteorologist Erica Delgado talks with our whether or not favorite contributor, Robert Moyeta from NWS Miami. Plus, how do you know how strong a building must be in order to withstand a storm? It's not like you can wait until a hurricane to test your methods. It's a research facility that can replicate, if you will, category five hurricane conditions in a research environment. Meteorologist Jackson Dill chats with Eric Salna, Associate Director of the International Hurricane Research Center at FIU. And another fill fact at the end of the issue, whether or not we'll be right back. When the tropics heat up, you can stay cool. Because the chief works right here. Seven's chief meteorologist, Phil Farrow. He's been doing this for nearly 30 years. As soon as we get information, we bring it to you instantly. Wilma, Katrina, Irma, he guided us safely through them all. That guy never sleeps, but that's so you can sleep easier. We begin with lightning. What causes them? How can we stay safe? And who is the most vulnerable group for a direct strike? Meteorologist Erica Delgado with the story. Joining us today to zap our brains with all things lightning is warning coordination meteorologist Robert Moyeda with the National Weather Service right here in South Florida. Robert, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. Yes, hi, Erica. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, before we jump into specifics about lightning, can you explain a little bit to us exactly even how lightning is produced? Yeah, well, lightning, uh, basically the way it starts is you know, a cloud forms, uh, you know, typically you think here in South Florida on a, uh, you know, on a summer day, it's hot and humid. Uh, so you start getting moisture that's rising in the air and then the clouds will form. And then, you know, assuming that there's enough moisture in the atmosphere and enough what we call instability in the atmosphere, then that cloud will continue to grow. So as the cloud grows and gets taller, you're getting these these water droplets forming in, inside the cloud and they're and they're and then the higher that cloud is then those precipitation droplets uh some of them freeze so they turn into ice crystals uh some of them may turn into hail so when you get that mixture of water with ice for example inside of a cloud then you know, there these particles are, are colliding with each other. You know, they're they're you know, so it's, you know, there's a lot going on inside the cloud. And then what's ha what's happening is then these particles eventually start to kind of separate, and they they and they accumulate different electrical charges. Uh, for example, the lighter ice crystals get carried upward into the cloud, into the upper part of the cloud, and they acquire, for example, a positive charge. 
Okay. While the heavier particles, like hail, for example, will fall towards the lower part of the cloud, and those will become negatively charged. So you got all these charges going on inside the cloud. So what happens is when you get enough of an accumulation of those charges in the cloud, for example, let's say like the negative charge towards the lower part of the cloud, you're going to induce the opposite charge on the ground. So if you have a negative charge in the middle of the storm, you may get a positive charge near the ground or vice versa. You know, So it's that difference in the electrical charges between the cloud and the ground, which basically opens up the window for lightning to form. So, light, so, then, so lightning is when those charges become too, too much, or when, you're, when you have too much of an accumulation of those opposite charges, that's when the lightning will basically go or, or the lightning will traverse the, the air, you know, between, you know, between the cloud and the ground. So I know it's, it's complex. There's a lot more we could say about it, but that's about as simple as I could put it. It's basically a, an accumulation of electrical charges, both in the cloud and then the response of that on the ground. Okay. So what's going on in the cloud is this very complex process but then down here at the surface all we see is a lightning bolt so we know how dangerous it could be and knowing how dangerous lightning is if not deadly why would people continue or why do you think people continue to spend time outdoors even when they have warnings of thunderstorms in their area i mean i can't speak for every person or every situation you know we're we're all different we all react differently in different situations i mean i think one reason could be that we wait until the most threatening part of the storm is almost on top of us. You know, when the, the wind and the rain's picking up, uh, lightning is flashing all around us. So that's one thing, you know. So in other words, we may even see that cloud off in the distance. We may see it kind of getting dark, a little bit threatening, but, you, but, you know, we're, we're in the middle uh, of an activity. Let's say we're, right. we're playing sports or, or we're, you know, we're, we're trying to finish cutting that grass in our, in our, in our backyard. Um, you know, so we, you know, we decide, okay, you think maybe I can push it another couple of minutes. Uh, unfortunately, the biggest lightning myth that's out there that we always try to dispel is that lightning can only strike when it's really nasty out there. But, you know, we, there are preliminary studies that, that suggest that most people, or at least many people, get struck by lightning either before or after the worst part of the storm is over them. Uh, so that often means that the first lightning strike of a developing thunderstorm or a lightning strike a few miles away from approaching storms. So in other words, the storm could be forming r- right near you, like it ha- happens so often here in South Florida, or the storm is still a few miles away or the core of it's still a few miles away. Uh, you know, lightning often strikes several miles away from the core of the storm, sometimes as much as 10 miles away. So I know there's a, you know, I, I'll make a reference uh, to a popular Fleetwood Mac song uh, no, thunder does not only happen when it's raining. You know, it can happen <laughs> well outside the rain. It's good to know. And, you know, I think a lot of the reason while many of us, other than maybe participating in activities or whatever other reason we're outside, I think fascination also just seeing how storms mm-hmm. form from afar. People just maybe stay outside a little longer than they should. But you're right. As right. soon as you see those clouds building out at the distance, definitely should go inside. Exactly. Now, uh, looking at the number of lightning related fatalities per year, I know that we mentioned this a lot um, here in the news, and I know your weather office also can't stress it enough. I noticed um, just looking at the demographics that men made up more than 50 percent of the number of deaths in any given year. And I think this is uh, going back into the early 2000s, maybe where we were looking at numbers. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's such a big male demographic in that? 
probably the most simple uh, answer to that is that the lightning, well, lightning most often strikes people who work outside or obviously, or engaging in out outdoor recreational activities. So, you know, for example, construction work, farming, landscaping, you know, in other words, you know, these are professions that tend to be made up mostly of males. I mean, I know, and I know there's, there's more reasons than this, of course. Um, but I know that's like the first thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, that given where lightning, obviously we know lightning strikes, you know, so your people that are outside are, are the most vulnerable by far to lightning strikes. And oftentimes, or most of the time there, there people that get struck are, are doing work, some kind of work outside. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be the easiest answer, at least for me to answer. But there's, it's more complex than that, probably. Of course, of course. Now, back in the early 2000s, lightning was the cause for 48 fatalities here in the U.S. Now, recent numbers, and I'm talking about this past year, uh, numbers for 2021, the total lightning-related fatalities had reached only about 10 or 11, which I think, if I remember correctly, was a record low number of lightning-related fatalities in any given year. While obviously we prefer for the number to be zero, what would you think caused this drastic drop in the last 15 to 20 years in a positive direction? I guess I should say positive as in fewer related deaths. Right, right. I mean, it's not because the number of thunderstorms have decreased. I don't think that's the reason. I think we're still getting a lot of thunderstorms. I don't, I mean, I don't have data on you know, number of thunderstorms this year or, or in the last five years compared to the previous 10 or anything like that, for example. But I do think that a greater awareness, education, and also we have, you know, here in South Florida, many of our parks have lightning detection systems. So, you know, people are more aware, I think, overall of the dangers of lightning. Uh, you know, so I think our, you know, the, our educational efforts have really helped I think our the forecasting, you know, and more accurate forecast certainly plays a big role as well. But I think at the end of the day, it's about people being more aware, people knowing what they need to do if lightning's in the area, and those lightning detection systems. I think really help as well. Now, I, I know you mentioned um, just more awareness overall, and I was kind of browsing the. Um guess the National Weather Service yeah. website yesterday, and I was reading a little bit about the lightning awareness program that the Weather Service has focused on the past few years. Now, can you tell us a little bit about that? That probably has helped lower that number, or at least be made people more aware. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have an initiative called Weather Ready Nation, you know, something that goes back about almost a decade, where, you know, it's, it's about putting extra emphasis on going out and educating people, talking to people, uh, you know, bringing greater awareness to weather hazards uh, like lightning and other weather hazards uh, here in South Florida and, and everywhere else in the United States. So certainly that's a big part of our lightning awareness program. And we, more specifically, there is a, uh, there's a lightning safety toolkit, which communities can voluntarily be a part of and complete, which basically requires them to, to you know, to take certain steps to meet the requirements, like, for example, uh, putting signs up at parks, for example, or educating uh, outdoor staff uh, on the dangers of lightning so that they can be more prepared, knowing where to get weather information, updated weather information throughout the day. And here locally, we actually have a good example of that. The uh, city of Miami Parks and Recreation Department a couple years ago went through that process and they completed this lightning safety toolkit. So, you know, they that, that's a good example of a community or, or an organization that went the extra mile. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know that, you know, 
the folks over at your office as well. I mean, I, I see it all over social media and emails that are sent out with your participating, you know, with partners and everything. So I think the word really is getting out. Now, I'd like to bring it a little closer to home. Even with the recent decrease in the fatalities in Florida, of course, the numbers also have gone down. Um, but Florida still seems to be one of the leading states in most lightning relating uh, fatalities per year. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's an awareness thing? Do you think we just overall get maybe more thunderstorms than other states? Or do you think that just because we don't get as severe a thunderstorm as maybe in other parts of the country, that maybe we're not so scared um, to be out and about? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's primarily a combination of geography and our climate. So, you know, they, those come together, obviously. Our climate here. Uh, you know, combined with our geographies, conducive for thunderstorms to form, you know, especially during the warmer, more humid summer months, you know, we're surrounded by water, we're a peninsula. So we have water, warm water on the, to our west, warm water to our east, and even warm water well to our south. So we have the right combination of ingredients that come together in the Florida Peninsula for frequent thunderstorms. I mean, they're, they're, you know, we, we get thunderstorms, you know, obviously here in the Florida Peninsula almost every single day in the summer. I mean, really almost every single yep. day between, let's say, the middle of May and the end of September. There are very few places in the U.S. There are some, but there are few that can that have that same frequency of thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. So you combine that with, uh, with demographics. You know, our population, we're the third most populous state in the country. And on top of that, we have many, many visitors, and you know, our our and we we're, we're definitely very oriented towards the outdoors uh, here in Florida. So I think that's those things come together, you know. And now, last year, I will say in 2021, you mentioned the low number of uh, lightning fatalities, which is certainly you know a step in a positive direction. Here in Florida, we had four. So I think that's the lowest number in Florida in quite a while. So you know, we're, we're hopefully that. That, that trend will continue. That's what we're aiming for, you know, and, and efforts like, you know, really like this podcast, for example, and other efforts that we do to educate about lightning hopefully can make a difference and we can sustain this decrease in lightning fatalities. Of course. And I think it will. I mean, just looking at the numbers year to year, it significantly has dropped. And I think that um, the number one reason for that is awareness. So uh, what tips would you give someone if, if they find themselves out and about and all of a sudden a thunderstorm maybe develops or it's coming through their area and they're unable to seek shelter at the time? Yeah. First of all, it's critical that we plan properly for the weather when we're getting ready to engage in an outdoor activity. Let's say, you know, for example, we're, you know, let's say we're, we're heading out on the boat or we're going out on a hike or, or we're, we know we're going to be outside for a long period of time. Make sure that we check that weather forecast before heading out. You know, if it's, if it's a day, for example, when thunderstorms are in the forecast, maybe it, you know, it might not be the best day to, to be really, really far away from, from shelter. You know, maybe that's the day when you kind of stay closer to home. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're going to go out and there's a chance of thunderstorms, uh, you know, make sure you're in close proximity to shelter in case the storms begin to approach. So really, it's about, you know, it's about proper planning, uh, being weather informed and being weather prepared because there really is no safe place outside for during lightning. I right. mean, I know back in you know several you know, back in you know in the old days, uh, they would tell people to crouch down as a mm-hmm. last resort. You know, get you know like if you're on the ground, crouch down, get on your knees, and just try to get as low as possible. I mean, but that that's not that's far from a guarantee that you're going to be safe. And I think uh, nowadays, with the as smart as our phone phones are, maybe a little too smart, some uh, mm-hmm. most of us have some type of 
weather app radar or something on our phone that we could always just check, you know, if you are planning on being about and maybe you know that thunderstorms could be developing. So we can just plan accordingly. Last but not least, at no point am I poking any fun as far as, you know, lightning related fatalities. But I did get a question from a viewer, lightning related, and I thought maybe I'd bring it up during this interview. They would like to know if we jump in the air at the very exact second that lightning strikes where we are standing, will we survive? Hmm. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> question. I think I'm, I, yeah, I could be wrong. And I'm making a, I'm making a total assumption here. I'm making the assumption that the question is basically establishing that, okay, if you're that being on the ground is what makes you more prone to be hit by lightning. Correct. But I don't think that's really the case. In other words, if you, let's say, you know, let's say, you know, if you, let's say, for example, you jump up in the air. So in other words, you're not in contact with the ground. I don't think that reduces your, your electrical charge. It doesn't re- reduce your risk. Lightning is going to already cutting through the air at that same time. It's going to hit whatever object is, is, is there. So I, again, I mean, I could be missing something that, that that's entirely possible. I'm not, I don't consider myself a lightning expert. There's a, and, and lightning is pretty complex topic, but I don't think it really would make a difference. Well, and I, and, and even if we don't know hundred percent know the answer to that, I think that why would you want to test fate? Um, just don't right. jump in the air. Maybe don't be outside while yeah, don't be out there. Exactly. 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 As mentioned earlier, lightning is something we here in South Florida and really all over the world should take very seriously. So before you bolt outside during a thunderstorm, remember to think that the dangers associated with the storm and what you can do to keep you and your loved ones safe. Of course, the seven weather team would like to thank Robert Molleda and our friends at the National Weather Service here in Miami for their help with this interview and for all of their help on a daily basis. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks, Erica. It was my pleasure. We'll talk soon. All right, all right, take care. Thanks, Erica. Weather or not continues after this. Severe weather can strike any time. And when it does, Seven's got you covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a long line of rainfall here. We are the storm station. Seven News. South Florida has some of the strongest building codes when it comes to hurricane construction. But how do you know how strong a structure must be? Bring in the wall of wind. Here's meteorologist Jackson Dill. With hurricane season here, it's important to understand how to build safer and stronger structures. That's exactly what the wall of wind at Florida International University hopes to achieve. I spoke with Eric Salna, who is the associate director at the FIU Extreme Events Institute to learn more about it. So Eric, FIU first developed what's known as the Wall of Wind 10 years ago. What is this Wall of Wind and what do researchers part of the project hope it will achieve? Well, uh, thank you for having me on the program, Jackson. And yeah, the Wall of Wind has been an incredible research facility at Florida International University. As you said, 10 years ago, we actually debuted it on the 20th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew. And we did that on purpose because Hurricane Andrew had such a big impact on South Florida. It changed so many things as a Category 5 storm. And when we debuted the Wall of Wind, it's a research facility that can replicate, if you will, Category 5 hurricane conditions in a research environment. So the Wall of Wind was designed and engineered to test structures. How can we make them stronger? And bottom line, how can we make 
communities resilient and how can we enhance the building codes and during that journey in 10 years we've become part of what's called the Nahiri network of the national science foundation so now we do research projects that come in from all across the united states from other universities all to advance the science of wind engineering in the built environment. How does this help builders construct sturdier and safer buildings that can withstand hurricanes? One way to look at that is the building codes. So the research and the testing that we do at the Wall of Wind, if it can be shown that if a different window design, a shutter design, a roofing component, a wall component, if there's a better material, a better product, or a better design that can be utilized because it was shown to be tough in hurricane force winds at the wall of wind, then that can then translate itself to a private industry. And then also the knowledge and education we, we do here and through our research, enhancing those building codes uh, beyond Florida. We already have the strongest building code in the United States, but other states, there's room for improvement, for upgrading those codes. So our research, if it enhances and, and makes for those building codes to be improved, then that'll make those communities safer uh, against the next storm. And with all the research that's being done, it's universities with NSF funded grants that come to FIU with their projects and a variety of things being tested. And it's not just buildings, it's uh, communication infrastructure, it's electrical infrastructure, traffic infrastructure, a lot of different things that are wind tested at the Wall of Wind. You know, this it's a great topic to talk about, resilience, building codes, what can we do so that all of us can ride out the next storm. Just would like to mention in, in lines with mitigation, if you will, for many of us that are homeowners, and how can you make your home stronger? And how do I know if I can ride out the next door? And there's basics of mitigation, and that's protecting your windows or doors or checking the, the age of your roof. But one way to go about that, that, Jackson, I would say, is you can get a scorecard, if you will. If you get your home inspected by a certified a wind home inspector, that inspector will then go around your entire home and check all these points of your house and give you that scorecard to let you know how and what can I do to strengthen my home for the next storm. And uh, you'll have that list. Realities are, yes, they cost money. There is a budget. But I like to say, well, Maybe what you want to do is split up that plan into a five-year mitigation plan. One year, maybe a shutter one window. Uh, the next year, maybe it's the new garage door. And the next year, maybe it's uh, roof improvements. Whatever it might be in the long run, so you don't have to evacuate, you can ride out the next storm uh, safely. And the message for all of us, just be prepared, have a plan, have our kit, and, and let's just hope all those storms spin out in the Atlantic and don't bother any of us, right? And it was recently announced that FEMA will be working with FIU to utilize the wall of wind to strengthen building codes. So earlier uh, this spring, back in April, FEMA made a big announcement related to building codes on moving forward and how can we improve the building codes and how can they help now facilitate and really push the message that mitigation works and building codes do work. 
And then uh, just recently on June 1st, the kickoff of the hurricane season, the White House, in conjunction with FEMA, made another big announcement right at the wall of wind. And it all had to do with a national building code strategy. That was great news because it's that kind of messaging, not only from the White House, but for multiple agencies across the country to improve the building codes, that's certainly going to help all communities become more resilient. Recently, it was announced that the Wall of Winds, which can currently produce Category 5 winds, will gain upgrades to create even stronger winds. Why is there a need for this? Well, think about it. Do we all remember Hurricane Dorian? You know, it came to the Northwest Bahamas, 185 mile per hour winds. And that's a storm that would have devastated South Florida. And in recent years, we've seen these hurricanes over 160 miles an hour, 170, 180, 185. So if you think about it, at FIU, if you wanna be ahead of the curve with climate change issues, if we are looking at the environment of hurricanes uh, that might be larger, they may be a bit stronger, slower or wetter, there's different things that could possibly happen to our hurricanes with climate change. And so that's one thing, it's, it's the science and FIU with this new vision and a new facility to now, let's not stop at 160, Let's see if we can now have a facility go to 200 miles an hour to capture these, these more powerful storms. And then, as you know, Jackson, that hurricanes, they have many weapons. And it's not just the wind. We can't ignore it. But water kills more people than the wind. So storm surge. So in this new vision, this uh, facility that could go up to 200 miles an hour with wind, think of a large pool of water in front of the fans. And then now that wind pushing that water up against the structure to then mimic storm surge, wave erosion, wave action. And now you're bringing more of those hazards of a hurricane under one roof, if you will, all for research. So we're excited about that new vision. It's again through the National Science Foundation. And it's not just FIU, there are eight other universities involved. So it's an all-star team of academic universities, research universities that will now for the next three to four years, try to now design a prototype to see if this could actually work before the real thing would potentially be built later on. Now, is there any way for anyone to go and check out the Wall of Winds? Well, the Wall of Wind, uh, anyone can go to the NSF Nahiri Wall of Wind website, and uh, you could see information about the Wall of Wind and the testing that we do in many videos. We also have lots of videos on the Extreme Events Institute website, where we have lots of stories about the Wall of Wind and examples of the kind of testing. So that's how the public can, can look at what we're doing, how we're doing it, and stay tuned because the new vision, the new project, as we reach milestone markers and moments in the development of the prototype, we'll certainly let you and everyone else know what's the latest and greatest on this progress towards this larger research facility. Thanks, Jackson.
The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the Storm Station, Seven News. And now, a pill fact. All my career day students will know this. Lightning is hotter than the surface of the sun. According to the National Weather Service, lightning can heat the air around it up to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. NASA puts the surface of the sun at around 11,000 degrees. That's nearly five times hotter than the sun. In our next issue, there is one machine we all love to have after a hurricane strike. It provides us with the power we need to stay cool, keep us connected, and even help us cook. But it can also be deadly. We're talking generators. Meteorologist Erica Delgado has that story. Plus, mangoes. We love them. But can a pesky plant help them stay healthy? Mangoes are one of South Florida's favorite fruit. Could the world's most unwanted plants make these trees more fruitful? Next week on Whether or Not, we talk to Blair Kleiman, an FIU PhD student who is on a mission to help farmers save time and money as well as reduce the use of chemical pesticides. Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez with this tasty treat. That's all coming up in our next edition of Whether or Not, which drops August 9th. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, please send us an email at wxpodcast at wsvn.com. This podcast is produced by the Seven Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane, with technical support by Stephen Sejas. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.